I'm always talking about the fact that gender equality is good for all of us and gender inequalities affect us all. And I think that the idea that men are losing out and it's not working for men the way we're doing things now is a message that we need to start talking about a lot a bit more and realising that we need to support men for them to be able to give back in a good way to society as well. You know, we know that men are more likely to commit suicide, three out of four suicides are men, then less likely to reach out for help and support. Only one third of referrals, self-referrals to NHS talking therapies are men. The ONS found one in five men have no close friends, which is crazy. Mm. Prostate cancer is the most diagnosed cancer in the UK, often diagnosed very late because men don't go to the doctors. We late, we we wait until it's too late. And there's so many others. So, you know, gender inequality is damaging for us all. And with that message, we can all start to work about how do we understand each other a bit more and how do we change and adapt to support each other and ultimately create better workplaces and better lives for us all. Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Elliot Ray, one of the UK's most prominent speakers on fatherhood, masculinity and men's mental health. He's a LinkedIn top voice, author and founder of the parenting platform Music Football Fatherhood. In this episode, we discuss the often overlooked and stigmatised topic of men's mental health. Elliot shares how we can encourage men to prioritise their mental well-being, emphasising the importance of breaking down societal barriers and fostering an environment where seeking help is seen as a sign of strength. Elliot also outlines the steps that organisations can take to promote equal parental leave and enhance support for men's mental health. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi Elliot. Hey Natasha. I'm so excited for this conversation today. I say this to every guest that comes on but I actually am. I am genuinely excited about our conversation today. So Elliot, tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today. Hey everyone, so I'm Elliot Ray. And like this question could be the whole podcast. So I'm going to give you the <laughs> summary version, which is a few minutes. Okay, so I went to uni, did business management because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I thought I better go to uni and do something. Finished that and then looked for marketing jobs, but couldn't find any marketing jobs. Looking back, I didn't know what I was up against in regards to not knowing anything about the corporate world, not having any connections all that sort of stuff but anyway that's another that's another podcast so i started working in that west actually with my mum literally sitting next to my mum oh that's so cute i was on my best behavior i know (laughs) seriously you should see me serving customers so polite i could imagine (laughs) yeah anyway did that for a little while moved up to the business center in that west and then left to start my own social enterprise which is called make it happen music so that was teaching young people music production, but also engaging them in conversations around gang violence, drugs, sex, relationships, and stuff like that. And I loved that job. I did it for two years while I was in a band with my wife. Loved the job. It was amazing. But then in 2010, when the coalition came in, they pretty much cut all the funding for that work, you know, overnight. 
the London riots happened the next year, which to me wasn't necessarily a surprise. But anyway, so I needed to, I needed to obviously pay my bills and make some money. So I got a temp job in the civil service and ended up spending 10 years in the civil service. Started as a PA in DWP for finance director. Did that job and variations of that job for about six years. And then kind of really realized what I can do and the value I can bring. And I brought all the stuff I'd learned in Make Happen Music and my personal interests around inclusion, my, my degree, the time in that West, et cetera, and started working in change and people in HR. I went from kind of being a PA in the next six years of my civil service career, took me to managing a DG, DG's office in the Department for Transport, to then being head of race equality in DEFRA, to then being the head of diversity delivery in the Treasury. So that was a roller coaster of a ride, and I learned a lot about corporate world and, and diversity and inclusion and senior leadership working in those jobs, which I really appreciate and really helps me now. But while I was working in this civil service, I became a dad, um, which for parents out, out there know that changes your life in many ways. Um, but for us, we had a, a difficult start to parenting where our daughter was quite severely ill when she was born. She had an infection called group B strep. So we spent a couple of weeks in hospital. We weren't quite sure, you know, whether she was going to make it. She did. We went home. I pretty much went back to work straight away. My paternity leave had finished. And that next kind of 18 months of my life was by far, you know, the most difficult. My wife was diagnosed with postnatal anxiety. I was having panic attacks at work, insomnia, crying on the train home from work. Um, and was really a shell of myself, to be honest. Eventually was diagnosed by, with PTSD. Throughout that period, I started writing about being a dad and... I called the platform Music Football Fatherhood because that's the three things I love. <laughs> so it made sense. <laughs> and over the years, since 2016, that has grown to be a community that has supported thousands of dads. We're lucky enough now to have partnerships with you know some of the biz biggest football clubs in the world like Arsenal and, and Brentford and Watford, Queen's Park Rangers. And we do events for dads with those football clubs in their stadiums. We do online sessions for dads talking about loss, masculinity, mental health, co-parenting, parenting a child with autism. Um, we have written a very successful book called Dad, which is a collection of 20 stories from different dads sharing their stories around stillbirth and miscarriage and you know all the different parenting experiences. Um, and that led me to present a documentary called Becoming Dad, which is on the BBC One in 2022. And that was the first kind of documentary of its kind that really brought to the mainstream issues around men's mental health, dad's mental health, work-life balance, and the idea of being a dad now in the modern world. That did really well. That was one of the most 20 watched documentaries across the BBC network last year. And so now um, I spend my time running the Music Football Fatherhood community. I'm not quite sure when this will come out, but we have a big event at Watford FC in their stadium on the 17th of June. So half the time is kind of spent on that stuff. And the other half is working with corporate organizations like law firms, banks, accountancy firms, the NHS, um, schools, to talk to people around the importance of supporting working dads and the power of that in regards to well-being, gender equity. I speak about masculinity and allyship and online misogyny, how we 
can redefine masculinity. And I talk a lot about men and dads' mental health as well. So I think sometimes your mess can be your message. I think that's definitely true for me. And you know, my personal experience, my my corporate experience have all led me to where I am today. And I feel you know very, very blessed to to have the opportunity to do the work I do now. Oh, fantastic. Your story is 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 inspiring. And the work that you do is is so needed. And I really want to hear a little bit more from you about um, some of those aspects and, and a lot on, on the work that you do. So mental health and men's mental health in particular is one that is stigmatized in society. It's, it's, it's not something that's talked about very often. How do you think, how can we encourage men to prioritize their mental well-being? So I think we need to kind of really look at success, I think, because prioritizing your well-being and your mental health means a shift in the way you think about your role in the world. I think it is a shift in regards to how you spend your time, what you prioritize as important and what success looks like for you. And those ideas are fundamental to a lot of us around our identity. And some of, sometimes our identity is driven by, you know, societal expectations that come with manhood and what a, what a strong, successful man is. So for me, prioritizing my mental health has only really come in the last two or three years, probably since COVID, if I'm completely honest with myself. Before COVID, I was in a position where I was running around like a headless chicken, parenting, you know, being successful at work, being a husband, having a friendship group. And my well-being, physical and mental well-being was put on the back seat, really, because I had aspirations and ambitions. And not saying that we shouldn't have aspirations and ambitions. Of course, we should. That's a natural part of you know who we are. But at the same time, being able to balance that all with stuff that I know is going to look after myself and also sustain myself for the long run as well mm. and that does really come with a change of perspective and I think for encouraging men it is about what success looks like and I'm a big advocate for balance in life for breaking down ideas that men need to be the provider protector breadwinner all of the time and if we can step outside of those ideas it does give us a bit more flexibility it means that we don't have to work all the hours that God gives us. It doesn't mean that it means that we don't have to do jobs that we don't particularly enjoy and like doing if we have the privilege to be able to choose. And it means that we can prioritize our family um, and our exercise and the activities that kind of pour into us. So for a lot of men, there is that expectation that you're going to be successful in your career, that you're going to be strong physically that you're going to make the money in the house, which again, is not necessarily a bad thing in itself, but that can lead to unhelpful behaviors of overworking, of neglecting friendship groups, of neglecting physical exercise, of giving ourselves time off to relax and recuperate. And sometimes it can be difficult to do. Like I'm not perfect at all, I'm learning. When I left my job two years ago, the main driver for that actually, above and beyond building my business, was my health and well-being. I got into a position where in 2019, I was working so hard. I was ahead of race at DEFRA. Things were going so well. Um, but I had a health scare. You know, the, 
doctor thought I had a heart condition. I didn't, thank God. But it was stress. I was stressed out. You know, I wasn't looking after myself at all. And, and it's scary that like, no, no, I, I, I think it's scary that, um, and what I've, I think many people don't understand is that stress is, it's, it's not just mental, it, it can manifest physically as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, stress is, stress is the silent killer, as mm. they say, you know, and we, we need to be aware of that <laughs> and the stress we put ourselves under to, to achieve and be perfect is debilitating. Um, and there are strong links there, I think, in regards to manhood and masculinity and, and our ideas about what it means to be a man as well. Mm. And so how do you think that um, organisations can better support men when it comes to their well-being and even their, their parenting as well for, for, for guys that are working dads? So the parenting is a big one. Um, there's loads that can be done in regards to parenting. You know, to start from policies... I think making sure your policies are gender neutral is really important. So if you have expectant parents that are adopting or maybe have a premature birth or their child is in neonatal care, making sure those policies that you have in place around leave is gender neutral. So the dad can take the leave too. That's really key. I'm so happy to see around 65 to 70 organisations in the UK now that have introduced equal parental leave, meaning the dad gets exactly the same amount of time off as the mum. And there are so many more organisations that have offered enhanced paternity leave. So over and above the statutory two weeks that the government gives us, the poultry two weeks, there's so many organisations now that will offer like four weeks paid, six weeks paid. That time off with your new baby is transformative. It really is. So many different reasons. It's so important for dads to obviously look after their own mental health and well-being at a time that is joyous but can also be very very stressful if we're real having a new baby is hard yes it's hard (laughs) (laughs) like yes and it's yeah yeah, it just makes from personal experience I think I've I've seen the side of when there is no um parental leave for dads um my husband has his own company and unfortunately at the time in which we had Robin he was in that mindset of right okay I'm gonna need I have to do everything I can to make sure that we're okay and he put quite a lot of his time into work because he needed to be there he was he's a host of his own podcast if he doesn't show up there's no show (laughs) and so um having a newborn and then knowing that unfortunately he couldn't spend as much time with us um was was difficult it was definitely hard um and as yeah. a mom like you feel a bit lonely anyway so not having someone else there it's hard yeah i, I didn't realize how many couples argue and actually split up after having a new baby yeah and the pressure it puts on yourself as a as a couple is crazy and so given that dad the time and space to support the family bond with their baby that is so important in regards to how that family then decides to share care after they both go back to work if they do so it's good for gender equality as well you know as you were saying there your husband lent into work that happens a lot actually a lot of new dads that have a baby will tend to kind of get promoted shortly after yeah oh really that pressure they've got to provide and the mum will you know because we have such an expensive childcare system the third most expensive in the world the mum is more likely to go part-time to look after the baby and that's the big 
disparity in the gender pay gap actually starts when that first baby is born into a family is the motherhood penalty. So supporting dads through equal parental leave and flexible working is one of the most powerful things we can do for, for gender equality and for mental health and well-being of, of both parents. So supporting dads is massive, you know, parenting groups, dad groups, role models in the organisation at a senior level, that parent loudly is really key. Good line management that can be flexible and compassionate to their people is really important too. But I think widely outside of just parenting and fatherhood, I think there's an emerging conversation now in society, probably due to you know the rise of online misogyny and Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson and the like, like that. We're having a wider conversation now about manhood and what it means to be a man ultimately in the workplace and how do men engage with diversity? How do they show up as allies? But importantly, recognizing some of the challenges that men face as well, because I'm always talking about the fact that gender equality is good for all of us and gender inequalities affect us all. And I think that the idea that men are losing out and it's not working for men the way we're doing things now is a message that we need to start talking about a lot a bit more and realizing that we need to support men for them to be able to give back in a good way to society as well. You know, we know that men are more likely to commit suicide, three out of four suicides are men, then less likely to reach out for help and support. Only one third of referrals, self-referrals to NHS talking therapies are men. The ONS found one in five men have no close friends, which is crazy. Mm. Prostate cancer is the most diagnosed cancer in the UK, often diagnosed very late because men don't go to the doctors. We late, we we wait until it's too late. And there's so many others. So, you know, gender inequality is damaging for us all. And with that message, we can all start to work about how do we understand each other a bit more and how do we change and adapt to support each other and ultimately create better workplaces and better lives for us all. Yeah, and and that's, and I think that's one layer to it as well when you're talking about men and women and, and, and the gender roles and, and our perception of what is masculine and what isn't. And um, it's it's then adding another layer in terms of the cultural backgrounds where you're from because I know from the culture that I'm from as, as a black woman, I know black men are even more less likely to seek assistance and help. They may well have um, a close bond with their families and, and friends, yes. However, that doesn't mean that they're actually speaking to those family and friends about the issues that they're experiencing, um, which is I feel like is is kind of a whole nother conversation when you speak yeah. about it from a cultural perspective as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, black men are more likely to be diagnosed with kind of severe mental health issues, um, like psychosis and stuff like that. And one in eight men will get prostate cancer at some point in their life. One in four black men will get prostate cancer at any time in their life. And you know, there are those issues in regards to trust when it comes to the NHS representation in the NHS and how services are set up to support and talk to us. There is also quite strong cultural ideas as well around asking for help and support and stepping outside of ideas around manhood and masculinity. So that is something that we have to contend with, you know, and we have to talk about and we have to be honest about. And part of my organisation, you know, it's an organisation for all men, but a lot of our members and a lot of people that engage with us are black men because they see me and they see the rest of the team 
who are, you know, I would say majority of the team that helped me with the running of the organization are black. So they feel like it's a safe space where they can come and talk and share. And some of the best moments I've had in my life have been where we've got men together to share from an open place, you know, and really be honest about how they're feeling and what they're going through. And as an adult in this life, like we have ups and downs. That's that's natural. Like I've had some amazing ups in my life, brilliant times, like, but also we're all going to experience loss at some point in our life. You know, at some point in our life, we may contend with health issues. Um, if you're a parent, you know, your, your children will bring you stress at some point in your life, probably. <laughs> yeah. Elderly parents that are aging, um, redundancy, finance issues. And then when you layer on ideas about manhood, where you have to be strong and stoic and you have to provide and you can't show emotion. And then you layer on religion and culture and race. It gets complicated. So we need to make sure that we are providing space for black men, all men to have conversations and really vocalize the things that they're going through and experiencing and again that is outside of the ideas about manhood you know we weren't brought up doing that naturally it's not something that a lot of our fathers showed us and it's not something that wider society necessarily encourages so we need to be groundbreaking in a way of, of encouraging and supporting that mm, definitely 100 percent. so for you what's one key step that you take to help with your own mental well-being. You know, I'm lucky enough to do like purposeful work like yourself, like work that you love. So that is, that's a game changer. <laughs> that's a game changer because I'm working right now. I'm having a conversation with you about this stuff. This is this is work to me. Yeah. And there were there were days when I dreamt about having days like today, where I could be on podcasts, I could do talks and webinars and workshops. Again, not saying it's easy. It can be challenging. Last week I was ill. I was knackered. I had to drive down to Bournemouth to deliver I had to go to London I had other training and it was really tiresome but fundamentally I do purposeful work which I love and that gives me a lot of perspective and grounding I go to the gym a lot so we've got a David Lloyd's membership it's changed our lives I don't work for David Lloyd's um I should be on commission because I talk about how much <laughs> it's changed my life but literally me my wife and our daughter we joined last January and we are pretty much there most days because my daughter goes to after school clubs. She does tennis and action squad and scooter squad for two hours after school, makes friends there. It's amazing. I can go to the gym. I can work from there. My wife goes to yoga and usually the gym. She can work from there too. And we have like a social circle there now as well. That helps me so much. Um, but the third thing is just like resting. I'm watching Married at First Sight Australia right now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes, have I have seen, seen it. I haven't seen the new season though. I think I saw, I think it was a few seasons back and it was so, I was obsessed. Like I literally am obsessed with those sorts of shows and like Love is Blind. Oh Love is blind. my God. 100%. Love Island starting again soon. Oh, I know. I don't, <laughs> but I don't know if I can do it again. I don't know if I, because I, I feel like when I'm starting, when I'm watching it now, I'm just like, wow, Tasha, you're too old for this. Like I'm too old watching you know, this. I, I say the same thing and then I'm, I'm in. Because they're you're like in, you're all in, like twenty-year-olds, and I'm just like, oh okay, my God. you're still young, man. You're still young. But um, <laughs> now, yeah, watching some trash TV. Hmm. You know, like um, um, you've got to watch series series ten of Maths Australia is wild. So yeah, we're into that at the moment. And in in a serious note, it's just escapism. You know, it's um, stepping outside of your life for a little while, and that's always healthy as well. So I make sure I do those things, and that helps so much. I'm lucky enough to work in a job where I'm self-employed, I'm flexible, so I can, 
you know, juggle. I work probably more than I did with in my nine to five, but I can do it at a pace and at a time that works for me. So yeah, those things really, really help. And with the work that you, that you do, and, and you've mentioned about that you speak with a number of organizations to help them on their journey um, to creating these environments and, and policies that are gonna work better for, for not just men, but for, for everyone really in the workplace. Um, what have you found to be one of the most challenging parts for them when it comes to implementing these changes in their organizations or implementing these new policies? So I think there's a different, few different aspects to this question. So one part of it is the policy perspective, you know, so I'll encourage organizations to enhance their paternity leave, to review their family friendly policies and make sure they're gender neutral. So there's obviously a business case for that. You know, the, the staff network will be encouraged and the gender network and the parenting network will be championing that, of course, and most of the staff will be championing that. But at a leadership level, there's a business case to be made. And that obviously includes finances and, and and how we're going to prioritize the money that we're spending and what is the return for that. Unfortunately, for a lot of organizations at this point with those policies, it, it is and it does come down to a couple of people on the board who really believe in it, maybe for a personal reason, have had personal experience or really care about the agenda for whatever reason. And they will be the ones that push that through. Other times, an organization does a thorough business case, looks at the research, resources the HR and DNI teams to actually go out and do the work to create that business case. And when that is done, it normally comes back to show that this will be beneficial to their business. So when it comes to like equal parental leave, for example, there are so many organizations that I talk to who talk about a war, a war for talent, especially in the kind of white collar jobs in law and insurance, you know, that those things where people have flexibility and uh, have options and they can be fluid in regards to where they work. Offering those policies now is actually a deal breaker to a lot of people. You know, they are not just looking at the salary, they're looking at what else does this organization offer me in regards to flexibility and family friendly policies. So it's become a kind of competitive um, enhancement, if you like, to offer those policies. But then also looking at the engagement from your people, your ability to re to recruit talented people and retain them to make sure they are kept well mentally well and physically well the business case for that and what that does for your business is massive but part of the problem is working with the hr leads and the dni leads to help them to create that business case when not all of the information that is needed is publicly available um so i'd say that is that is from a policy perspective from a kind of culture perspective of how do you have quite nuanced, sensitive, difficult, sometimes polarizing conversations in the workplace that have massive impact on people emotionally and can potentially trigger some quite personal experiences. That takes expertise to be able to do that. You know, when I, the reason I guess I, I spoke about my career from the beginning is that before I knew what I was supposed to do with my life, I was kind of doing it when I was doing Make Happen Music. For me, that was facilitation, that was leading difficult conversations, that was public speaking, that was emotional intelligence ultimately at the core. And so I've been doing this work for a good like you know, 17 years or I'd say, but only in this capacity 
in terms of me speaking about the things I do for maybe three or four, but the expertise in regards to how do you hold a safe space for people? How do you share personal experience? How do you open up a forum? How do you support people who are sharing some difficult experiences? How do you make sure that ends well? How do you end with some action and some solutions? How do you create just a safe and brave space? You know, that's a specific expertise which needs to be learned. And I think for organizations, they don't have, they don't always have the ability to, to do that. But then also the expertise about the topic matter. I can't do that about fertility or about baby loss. They are not my areas of expertise. But when it comes to men's mental health and fatherhood and masculinity, I can talk all day <laughs> about those sort of <laughs> things. So it's about finding people who not only have the technical knowledge and research and they know what they're talking about in their field of expertise, but also have the ability to hold the space for people in a way that's productive. And I think for organisations, and you know, why would they have those expertise in-house? Sometimes the barrier of being able to explore certain issues like that and which leads to kind of culture change and a change in how we perceive each other and hopefully a improvement in our relationships and more compassion, more empathy, more understanding. It starts with conversation. So I think some organizations struggle with that as well. And I'd say, yeah, those, those are probably the two things that maybe get in the way. Oh, thanks. And I think, Elliot, you've you've touched on, whilst those two can be challenges, the opportunities on on how to overcome them. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more, is that sometimes organisations and, and HR leaders and, and DEI leaders work towards solving these these issues in-house which is which is great however it's knowing when actually you need to kind of go outside of your own bubble in order to get the right right help and the right answers um and like speaking with with professionals or experts like yourself that are well versed in a particular area to assist um is always going to be the right thing to do I think yeah definitely and also the benefit of not being in the organization is that I can say things and then leave <laughs> which is great yeah <laughs> my job I'm not thinking just yeah bye. I'm not thinking how's this going to impact my career progression like or you know yeah I've got to see you tomorrow yeah the there's no point, office right? politics is there you can kind of just come in and do like a complete wide widespread view yeah no exactly. it's true i've so much enjoyed our conversation today elliot um thank you again so much for, for joining me on the podcast today um for anyone who is listening just before you do leave us um could you give one piece of parting advice for everyone on how they can better support men's well-being and gender equality wow one thing i know i just i, I ruled off quite a few bits there as i was talking <laughs> i was like mm, i don't know if you could probably give one piece for for all of that <laughs> yeah okay so I think overall it would be to just like be at the forefront of exploring how society has changed and how it is changing I would say you know if you do that it opens your world and your mind up to a lot in regards to policy culture you know all those sort of things but I think fundamentally, it's just understanding that the world has changed and evolved quite a lot in the last few years. And the speed of change 
not just in the areas that I focus on, but, you know, with AI, with hybrid working, with gender identity, like we are moving at a very, very fast pace. When it comes to, I think, manhood, fatherhood, I would say it's unrecognizable now than it was kind of definitely when we were young, you know, 30, 40 years ago or whatever. The expectations, I think, for, for dads now on themselves, for a lot of dads, not every dad, is very different to their own parents and their granddads. And as an organization, how do you facilitate that and have conversations about that? I think it's also really important to think about masculinity and the kind of polarized world we are seeing at the moment reflected in politics that on one side of things with especially with young people we have the likes of Andrew Tate and his messages are very powerful and they are cutting through and influencing a lot of people not just young boys and boys in school but actually men of working age as well and so we we have to be aware of that and we have to be aware of what that means for behavior and perception and language and all those sort of stuff but we also have to be aware of the other side of things where so many more men now are leaning into positive masculinity and are embracing safe spaces, embracing talking about their mental well-being, embracing parenting responsibilities, embracing hybrid and flexible working and, and, and redefining what success looks like for them as, as, a, as a man in the, in the workplace, in the world and in a relationship. But I think it's really important for organisations to be aware of what is going on. And sometimes it's very easy to kind of bury our head in the sand and not want to address some of that stuff. I did a talk at the Automotive 30% Club last week in London, which is a collection of kind of CEOs and HR leaders from across the automotive industry. And I spoke about masculinity and that tension between the messages that a lot of people are hearing. And when I came off stage, one of the things that really struck me was that one person came up to me and said that was really confronting. And I was like confronting, like I didn't, I didn't design the session. Yeah, <laughs> like mm, interesting because I've been to, I've been to your talks, and so that's not one yeah. word I would describe it as. But okay. Yeah. But I kind of reflected. I was like, oh yeah, I can, I can kind of understand how actually when I look back because the, the topics I was touching on around toxic masculinity and and what we're seeing online and whatnot for a lot of people they've heard about it and they've seen about stuff but actually talking about it in its rawest form um and giving some examples i think was probably quite confronting in a positive way yeah but yeah sometimes we need that confrontation to be able to help us understand what we need to do next yeah no i yeah i i, I guess yeah that 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 is um you can see it that way. I guess I can see someone could could see it in that way um, because it's important. It's it's where like you're openly and being honest, like stripping back all of the layers, not sugarcoating anything. Like this is what it is. Um, and I agree. I think if we if we can do that and be honest, transparent um, about what is going on, then then we can only move forward from there really in a better way and have a clearer way forward I think um but anyway thank you so much again for for joining me today for anyone who is listening how best can they connect with you if they wish to so I'm like basically addicted to LinkedIn <laughs> so add me on LinkedIn Elliot Ray 
and yeah join the tribe oh no i love i love your posts so i will definitely be linking down below um a link to your linkedin profile so whoever's listening go check out elliot ray's page and follow his content it's amazing um once again thanks again elliot and i wish you all the best in the future until we speak again thanks so much thanks for having me i really enjoyed it